Hi, everyone. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, and this is Work Appropriate. So I have to start with some bittersweet news. This is our one-year anniversary episode. We've done 50 amazing episodes on everything from what to do about your fatphobic coworker to how to handle a manager who only wants to talk on the phone. It's also our last episode. I feel like I have learned so much from my co-hosts, of course, but also from the questions that have come into our inboxes. We've given hundreds of you space to talk about what's going on in your work world, and hopefully, in a whole lot of cases, to feel validated that, no, this is not okay, this is not normal, and you don't have to put up with it. These conversations have made me think in more nuanced ways about what's going on with work in this moment, and I am just so, so grateful to all of you listeners who made this show what it was. And if you want to see what Melody and I are cooking up next... Sign up for my newsletter, annhelen.substack.com, or follow me on Instagram. But for now, I'll set us up for this episode the way I always have. For this up, I wanted a person who's listened to every episode, who's read every reader question, who's shaped every part of what you hear every week. And I found her, the perfect person. My name is Melody Rowell. I'm a podcast producer living in Kansas City, Missouri, and I produce Work Appropriate. What else do you do? You do other things. I do other things. Um, I founded my own podcast production company called Yellow Armadillo Studios, and I also produce and edit Strict Scrutiny, which is part of the Crooked Media family. And I have a handful of other clients ranging from law schools to some private practice doctors in Alexandria, Virginia, and I consult people on fixing their podcast problems, getting started, kind of all of the above. And you and I have talked a lot about your various bad jobs, okay <laughs> jobs, good jobs. Uh, just so so our listeners can know, because we're going to go in and we're going to talk like all about what we've learned from listening to these episodes, from all of our guests, all of this sort of thing. But what what is your work history? Like, how did you get to where you are now? Oh, man, it has been a journey. And I feel like every time we wrap up an episode, I have some anecdote of something that was said that happened to me in one of totally. my jobs. Yeah. Um, so I graduated college not knowing what I wanted to do. And I briefly thought I wanted to go to law school. And then I worked at a law office for about two weeks. Well, I worked there for longer. But after about two weeks there, I was like, I can't do this. I'll die. So then I moved to D.C. and I worked at the Supreme Court for a Supreme Court justice for a couple of years. And while I was doing that, I went to grad school and got a master's in nonfiction writing, which then led me to a job at National Geographic where I was for a few years. But it was while I was working there in print and in digital media that I realized what I actually wanted to do was make the things that I was always listening to on my commute. So I went to a program called the Transom Story Workshop and learned how to edit audio, started freelancing after that, did some public radio jobs, moved to Kansas City for a public radio job that ended during the pandemic. So I started freelancing almost exactly three years ago. So you've had different types of jobs. You've worked in um, passion jobs and know like the character of that and what that's <laughs> like. And then also, and this is, I think, important to our discussion 
you know what it's like to be a freelancer and Mm -hmm. an an independent contractor who has like some solid relationships with established companies, but is also like trying to balance that feeling that we'll talk about of like, what is enough? Mm -hmm. So where do we want to go from here? This is our reflection episode. We've done a year. We've learned so much. I feel like we're just every week we're like, oh, are we going to run out of episodes? And then there's like 700 new episode ideas. Yeah. That's pretty much all of our pitch meetings where I'm like, we've reached the end. We've answered all the questions. We've solved all the problems. (laughs) And then we have a pitch meeting. We have like 15 more episodes to book. But I want to hear from you first how the past year has been either different or surprising from what you thought it would be. Hmm. I just feel like I've learned, I just keep learning. You know, people sometimes ask, like, how did you learn about what's going on in the workplace? Like, you know, especially when wrote out of office, like, how did you learn about how businesses work? That sort of thing. Like, some of it is you just pay attention, right? Like, you read things and you, like, I've read a lot of Harvard Business Review, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I didn't go to business school. And I think when you have a background like mine that's in learning about history or learning about culture, like it's easy to treat something like the way that the office works as a text that you can kind of dive into. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that I really like that is my primary source and should be everyone's primary source is I just like talk to a lot of people. Yes. I always want to hear from my friends like, oh, how does this work at your organization? Um, so it's like the texture of the conversations that I have like in my my real life, but then also, you know, the conversations that I have on Instagram and then all of these questions that we get from people, right, where I, you can just look at the temperature of here's the problem that is ha- like you can look at it like a, a month in the year mm-hmm. and be like, here's the tension that is happening in the workplace in this month because I feel mm-hmm. like. When we first started soliciting questions 14 months ago, mm-hmm. was it about 14 months ago? Yeah. There were still so many questions about my workplace can't decide if we're hybrid. Like that that was the, really the primary focus. Mm-hmm. And then that began to shift over the course of the next six months, eight months into my workplace is either preparing for layoffs or has we've had layoffs or I'm scared we're going to have layoffs. Mm-hmm. And that felt really foundational. And then through it all, we've s- still had the like, I used to like my job or I like my job, but it's unsustainable and I don't know what to do about that. Mm-hmm. What have you seen and learned? Oh, man. Um, One of the themes that I've been reflecting on is that idea of talking to everybody you know about their job. And there's sort of a meme right now on Instagram and TikTok that, like, if somebody held a gun to your head, you could not describe what your sister or your best friend does for work. (laughs) And I think so many of the questions we get could be solved by people not doing that. Yeah. Like we get questions where people are like, I don't even know what kind of job is out there. Or even just the question of like, my boss is doing this. Is this normal? Mm-hmm. And so often our advice is you need to talk to the people around you, like your friends, your neighbors. Right. That is your network. When people talk about networking, it's not going to an event and meeting strangers. With like and canapes so, or something. Yeah. It's <laughs> so like I want us to be I mean, I hate to use the buzzword intentional, but just to be intentional about getting to know what our friends and acquaintances actually 
do for their job and not mm-hmm. shying away from asking the questions because it may seem gauche or you're like, well, I don't want to reduce anybody to what they do for work, but it is an important part of our lives. And the only way we're going to learn about what else is out there is to ask questions. Yeah. You know, I think there's a real difference between the very stereotypical and I think reductive party question that's like, what do you do? Right. Mm-hmm. And then you don't like you're like, oh, OK, that's not what I do. But it's just a way to like, I don't know, snap judgment. Like mm-hmm. there's and what do you do? And then like a ton of follow up questions. You're like, oh, that's so interesting. Like what mm-hmm. kind like how does your organization structure reviews? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like you can talk about all sorts friends. of cool things. Yes. And you can yes. even, you know, if that feels awkward, just say, can I ask you a bunch of questions about your job? Yeah. And it doesn't. You don't have to frame it as networking. You don't have to frame it as being like nosy and invasive, although sometimes that's where the good gossip is. Yeah. But that was always the thing in D.C. That's the stereotype is when you meet someone, they either say, what do you do or who do you work for? Mm -hmm. And I remember when I worked at the Supreme Court, I didn't really want to offer that information to strangers, even though I'm now offering it on a podcast to thousands of people. (laughs) But so I would just kind of gloss over it and be like, oh, I work for a federal judge and try to make it sound really boring. But then they would continue drilling down like, well, who? Well, what do you do? Well, where is it? And that is one thing versus getting to know how your friends spend their days, Mm -hmm. I think is a valuable conversation. Yeah. Well, and I think that also contributes to something that I've learned over the course of the last year when it comes to answering listener questions, which is that it's often easier to solve a conundrum if you spend some time thinking about why people are acting the way that they're acting. Yes. Right. So I oftentimes think of something that teacher friends sometimes say, which is that if a kid is acting out in class, they're not acting out because they're like a quote unquote bad kid. Right. Mm -hmm. They're acting out because there's something else going on. Right. And so maybe Mm -hmm. that's something else is there's something happening at school that makes things hard and they Mm -hmm. are reacting to that by acting out. And maybe there's something happening outside of school. Right. And Mm -hmm. how do you figure this out? Maybe you talk to the parents. Maybe that's not the the right avenue. But sometimes you just got to talk to the kid, right? Mm-hmm. And be like, what's hard? Like when you get to school, you know, and sometimes it takes time to arrive at that understanding of what's actually going on in this person's life. So how do you do this in the workplace when I think it's important to actually, you know, if like there are things that people want to be private about and mm-hmm. that's okay. I think that there are conversations that we can have and lots of our co-hosts have mm-hmm. shown us the ways that you can have them mm-hmm. just to ask an, an open question yeah not to do the kind of condescending thing that's like it seems like there's a lot of stuff going on in your personal life <laughs> and maybe we need to take a second like or maybe like we need to step back or like you know what i mean like don't assume that you know that something is going on in their personal mm-hmm. life it might not be their personal life it might be like there's a lot of stuff going on in their national life right like there's mm. just like there's things that are happening mm-hmm So sometimes just starting the conversation with like, how are things actually going? Is there something that's really difficult right now? Is there a stopping point opening up that conversation so you can better understand why things are happening in a way that might not be the way that they should be happening? Two other things I've noticed about the like, why are people the way that they are question is everybody is scared. Yes. Like we I get that sense 
no matter their position in the company. They are scared of saying something or doing something that's going to get them immediately fired and then they catastrophize into what that would mean for the rest of their life. Yeah. And I think you can have more compassionate conversations with people that you work with if you're like, we are all freaking out on the inside and scared that this is going to go wrong. Yeah. And the other thing is I get a sense that because everybody is scared, it is hard to trust people people yeah and again no matter your position like we have had bosses not trust their employees because they're not getting their work done or they're calling out sick all of the time but they are scared to say anything that might cost somebody their job and then on the other hand you know we have people who don't trust that their boss is going to do the right thing for them and they're Mm -hmm. scared that saying something is going to cost them their job and so it is just this it's a mess Right. Well, and I think that that points to the fact that, like, you know, what I was saying about how you just need to have a conversation, that that doesn't work if you are in an environment that is not safe. Right. right? Like, the catchphrase is like, you know, what is it? Um, Environmental safety, emotional safety, psychological psychological safety. safety. Right. Right. Like, whatever you want to call it, they don't feel like they can actually tell you what's going on. Right. And, and so if, if you that's can't have that conversation, that is a sign. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And so, like, if that's the case, you have to th- zoom out, right? And this is a big theme that I think we've come to again and again. Like, oh, this interpersonal problem that you're having is actually a symptom of a much larger institutional affliction. And you need to figure out what that is. And that's so much harder to deal with. So people just avoid it. And it's but it's a contagion, right? Like it's mm-hmm. something that's going to affect every single person who comes into this role. Like if you are underpaying people, if you are always lording the threat of layoffs off of people, like it's never going to be a good environment. So what do you do? Yeah. And that was ultimately, you know, not to spill too much tea, but that was why... I had to leave my last job was I was sort of just looking at the lay of the land and like everything I'm facing right now is an institutional problem. And I don't think I have it in me to wait around for it to be solved. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, I mean, I wrote a piece about this when those rolling layoffs were happening at at tech companies. Was that like in the winter? I'm trying to think back in my brain. Layoff brain? Yeah, Layoff Brain, that was the name of the piece. And it was about seeing these layoffs happen over the course of my time in journalism, right? Like where I used to work, BuzzFeed News, was at this intersection of tech and journalism, two industries that are incredibly precarious. Mm -hmm. The difference being that if you get laid off in tech, almost always there are other jobs there that you can eventually go find. Journalism, not generally the case, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can adapt and find new skills, and maybe find a job somewhere else or like go into comms or like there are other places that you can go and find work, but it's not necessarily like, oh, I got laid off at this journalistic publication. I'm just going to go find another one. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, no, the the jobs are just decreasing. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me so much of my time in academia, which also so precarious. And I just was so tired. Like so many other people I know, so many listeners to this show, like you, like so tired of feeling like the other shoe is always just about to drop. And like, there's still precarity in freelancing, but I feel more in control of it. Yes, absolutely. I say that all the time of like, there is still stress in being your own boss and in freelancing, but I prefer that (laughs) stress. I can handle 
that stress. And yeah. I mean, you were saying you were at the intersection of journalism and tech. I was at the intersection of journalism and nonprofit. And so <laughs> it was, you know, lots of dysfunction with the feeling of I should just be grateful to be yep. there. Yep. And I was supposed to be doing good in the world and therefore be okay with not making any money. And so yeah. I do remember when I was looking to leave, I wasn't sure if I wanted to freelance or look for something else. And I was just reading job posting after job posting and being like, man, these all seem miserable. And then I was like, it's not me. It's the industry. It's not me. <laughs> these jobs are miserable. Yeah. Well, and this brings us, I think, to another theme which is that a lot of passion jobs are unsustainable. But mm -hmm. then when people get into jobs that are just J-O-B jobs, they're like, uh, well, what, what, who am I? Right? Like, mm -hmm. what's going on? I don't, I don't know how to grapple with this. Where do I find meaning? Mm -hmm. And I absolutely recognize that because a lot of people, I think, are really inculcated with this idea that your job is your identity, right? Mm -hmm. Especially bourgeois parents and bourgeois kids like growing up in bourgeois environments where you like are trained to be on this pathway to a career it makes sense that we identify so strongly with what we do yes and that the career is the through line of your life yes and that everything yes. else is on the periphery or it is extracurricular and therefore not that important yes and this brings us to the the advice that I think has really stuck with me and something that I, I think I I arrived at and have written a little bit about like pre-work appropriate and during the pandemic. But like so many of our co-hosts have responded to questions like what I'm describing, that sort of affliction of like, I don't know who I am now that I'm working this solid mm -hmm. job. I'm kind of bored. Um, I, I would like what happened to my ambition and my challenge? Like, mm -hmm. who am I? They've said, and I agree with this, you have to have something outside of your job mm -hmm. that helps give your life meaning. Yes. And I think some people, that's kids. Some people, that's dogs, caregiving and other capacities. Like, Or it can be a hobby, right? It can mm -hmm. be so, and a hobby is such like a trivializing word because mm -hmm. I think that it's like, it makes it sound like you're just like going into a little room and like just making figurines around. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like tootling around instead of like, oh, I have this other thing or m several other things in my life that I just love to do. I look forward to mm -hmm. it. It makes me incredibly happy and uh, like gives meaning to my life. Yeah. Our episode on ambition with Rainsford Stauffer was so eye-opening for me in that way of, like, you don't have to be ambitious about work. Because yeah. I've been feeling that way for a while of, like, I am content. Is that allowed? Is that okay? Yeah. Should I be striving to be, like, a girl boss and open a <laughs> studio and X, Y, Z? But that conversation, I was like, oh, I can be ambitious about my hobbies. And I can be ambitious about having a lot of hobbies. And that's not some kind of character flaw. And yeah. I have, because of that, like, I've read like 85 books this year already. Yeah. Yeah. You're my fate, one of my favorite <laughs> book reviewers. Oh, I like anyone so who gives like honest book reviews, meaning that they're not scared to like give a book less than a four stars. <laughs> oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I've read several this books this year where I'm like, this is literally the worst book I've ever read. They keep like outdoing <laughs> each other. But I only get to enjoy that because I'm reading so many other good books, too, because yeah. my ambition is currently reading. Yeah. And my ambition 
And I like, this is just, I have kind of an obsessive personality. Uh, my ambition is currently Dahlia's. And yes. it's been so fun to, <laughs> instead of like spending the time when I should be writing, agonizing over how I'm not doing enough work, just like mm -hmm. hanging out in my Dahlia spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> I like, like that you still made it work like in that there are there's a spreadsheet. I needed it. I needed it organized. Um, or like sheet mulching my yard, which involves taking a lot of compost and cardboard and killing your grass. Um, oh yeah, so that I can plant more dahlias. But you know, whatever the hobby is, it helps decenter work as mm -hmm. like my only locus mm -hmm. of success of pleasure. I just I spent so many years rotating around that axis of work mm -hmm. right like everything in my life rotated around that mm -hmm. and now I still work a ton you and I mm -hmm. both work a lot but I have decentered work like there are many different axes yeah that I feel like are rotating around me as a complete person mm -hmm. <laughs> or as a more complete person instead of like I know what a concept not a work <laughs> robot you're a person yeah and I understand why we become work robots you know like that's my whole thing with millennial burnout was like mm -hmm. all of these different pressures in our lives mm -hmm. tell us that the only way for us to succeed is to become a work robot mm -hmm. so how do we figure out that that alternative and this i think brings to another theme that so many of our our co-hosts have also emphasized which is that like sometimes you have to stay in a job so how do you figure that out how do you figure out how to make it sustainable copable any of those things but also sometimes like this is your life mm -hmm. right this is the rest of your life if there is any way for you to start looking for that other job if your job just makes your life miserable every day mm-hmm you can do it. And that that might include switching industries. And that's yeah. harder advice to hear, right? But sometimes I think people write into the show because they want to be given permission mm -hmm. to do it. They want somebody to say, like, yes, this is bad enough to leave over. <laughs> yes. What do you notice in the questions that people send in? Because it, it takes a particular sort of problem to prompt someone to like yeah. click on the link and like submit a question, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So what do you see? Um, well, there's that fear that I was talking about. There's that yep. desperation. Mm -hmm. There's also this overwhelming feeling of it's just as bad everywhere else. Yeah. And that was yeah. also an experience I had to go through. I think this was pre-pandemic. And I did a poll on my Instagram stories where I asked people, when you wake up in the morning, are you dreading going to work? Mm -hmm. And most people said no. And I was like, oh, OK, that's a bad sign for me. <laughs> and the next slide I asked, in the morning when you wake up, are you excited to go to work? And most people said no. And I was like, wait, you can just feel kind of like in between and neutral. Yeah. And that's like what most of my Instagram friends feel. And so I think keeping that in mind as a possibility of what work could feel like, it doesn't have to be the most miserable experience of your life. And it doesn't have to be the most life-giving, positive experience you've ever had. Like, you can look for something that's in the middle. Yeah. And I think that you're right that people write in either hoping that someone like will talk about 
you're right. It's this bad. Like, you just have to stay where you are. Like, there's a permission structure that's built into the to mm-hmm. a lot of questions. Either they want to be told, you have to stay where you are. Mm-hmm. And this isn't maybe the, the case with, like, any advice. You know, I think of, like, Dear Trudy or, like, there's just so many advice columnists where, like, oftentimes, like, a parent is <laughs> writing in and they want to be told, what I'm doing is okay. Mm-hmm. Or what the other parent is doing is not okay. Right. I like it when, especially a co-host, can look at a question and be like, here's what I actually think is going on mm-hmm. in this question. And like, you know, we never know all of the information or all of the context. And so I think we do a good job of acknowledging that while also saying, you know, like on a recent episode that the, to, with the Nightingales and mm-hmm. about management, there was a question about like, this person on my team always wants to call me and I hate the phone and he wastes my time on the phone. Mm-hmm. And like my response was going to be like, okay, you guys have to figure out like how you can communicate better and like reach a better, like, you know, halfway point. And the Nightingales were like, no, 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 no. They mm-hmm. were like, he's lonely. He mm-hmm. has a different way that he reaches that feeling of belonging in the office. And so how do we create that feeling more mm-hmm. for this person? And so I like it when we are able to kind of talk about the bigger picture instead of just like exactly what we see on the page. So what have been some of your, you know, the episodes are our children. We can't choose a favorite. But what have been some of your favorite moments or questions that we've experienced in the past year. Okay, so I love the question as a while back about someone whose coworker continually emailed as Fenway the dog. <laughs> That's also on my list. That's probably my all-time favorite question. <laughs> Although I, you always make fun of me because I mistakenly call the dog Wrigley instead of Fenway. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You can see how I would make up that. Oh, totally. Uh, make that yeah. mistake. Uh, another favorite that isn't funny because I think it's someone who's grappling with mental illness, but I think that we we dealt with the question well, was the, the person who, the gardener who was working mm-hmm. for a woman who said that her coworker was possessed by demons. Um, uh, yes. Because I think that that's something that people don't know how to deal with but it's like a very real thing and like how do you Mm -hmm. talk about this in a way that like doesn't stigmatize this person Mm -hmm. but this person is also acting in a way that like is not okay Mm -hmm. uh so i that one sticks out uh like i think it was from that same episode the one where the woman had a tattoo Mm -hmm. that just had some uh titties yep (laughs) And she's like, I work for the I work for this like the government, and they're like, I have to put a cover up my tattoo. <laughs> Is it true that I have to cover this up? Um, you know, just, later I, this episode, I'm going to read you some updates we got from listeners, and we do have an update on the titty tattoo. So <gasps> get excited for that. Um, okay. So, and what were your favorites? Um, I also had Fenway the dog on my list, and I was really hoping we were going to get an update from that listener, but we did not. But <sighs> if he is listening, like we are begging you to tell us what has happened with the Fenway the dog emails. Yes. Um, I also, I think this was in this, the same episode, just the whole episode we did with Liz Lenz about people's wild coworkers. 
I just loved it because I feel like that whole episode was just us reading scenarios and then you and Liz screaming. <laughs> like the coworkers <laughs> who like clip their nails. And I think, again, one of the services we provide on this podcast is to just validate people that like, yes, this is not work appropriate. Yes, this is disgusting. And yes, you were right to be incensed and irritated about this. Yeah. But speaking of things that are like inappropriate and make people incensed, one of my favorite moments, and I'm not going to put this listener on blast, so I'll just speak in generalities. Um, Part of the process of what I do is we get written questions in and then we select which questions we're going to answer in an episode. And then I reach out to the people who submitted them and I ask for a voice memo so we can play their question in the episode. So there's a little bit of back and forth with the listeners. This one person, I emailed them saying, hey, we've selected your question. And they said, oh, a lot has happened. Can I send an updated version of the question? And I said, yes. And the updated version of the question made it clear that the question asker was the villain. Like (gasps) the first version of the question, it was like, oh, that's a tough situation. The second version, I was like, oh, you're actually the problem. So... (laughs) That I mean, that's just kind of added another layer to every time I'm going through our questions of like, uh-huh. all right, what's the other side of the story? Here? More context, more context. Yeah. You know, there are columns where people talk to like both sides of a breakup mm-hmm. to get like the the different perspectives. Like that would be so interesting if we could ever do like a worker and, and their manager. It would never happen. People are way too sensitive about this yeah, stuff. Yeah, again, everyone's scared and nobody trusts anyone. <laughs> but yeah, yes. that was that was just fun. And it felt like I got my own personal little dose of gossip. I don't even know if I really told you and the host about that Yeah, I don't think so. I'll I think you, you were offline. like... <laughs> <laughs> what else is memorable? I mean, like you were saying, the Nightingales are just so good at, like, seeing through the bullshit. And I think it was the first episode we had with Melissa. And you said something like, well, you know, obviously you can't fire them. And Melissa was like, why not? (laughs) (laughs) And it was, again, just this nice of, like, oh, yeah, like, we do a great job on the show of, like, talking about feelings and being, like, anti-capitalist. But also, like, firing people is a reality of the workplace yeah and that's something that like I think it's my role to sometimes be the person who is trying to avoid that sort of more difficult situation mm-hmm. or harsher situation and then the co-host gets to be like no fire that person yeah. or like no like you need to quit now that mm-hmm. sort of thing Okay, we're going to take a quick break and then get into our listener updates. But first, I wanted to give you a heads up on the new Karyuma sneakers that are a collaboration with Love It or Leave It. They come in pink and black, have a really fun LA-inspired design with lots of details Love It or Leave It fans will recognize. If you're gearing up for canvassing season, it's the perfect time to step up your shoe game with super comfortable sneakers crafted with consciously sourced materials. Plus, Karyuma plants two trees in the Brazilian rainforest for each pair purchased. Head to cricket.com slash store to grab a pair. All right. Should we get into these listener updates? Yeah. I have so many updates for you. Oh, my gosh. When you told me that you had so many updates, I was like, this is amazing. I'm kind of nervous, though, too. Because what if we gave bad advice? 
Um, I think if we did, nobody was going to tell us. <laughs> I sent an email to everybody who's had a question featured on the show. At least I think it was everybody. If you're listening and you're like, I had a question, I didn't get an email. I'm very sorry, but it was a lot of emails. And I asked people for updates of what has happened since we answered your question. And so I got a lot of answers and I don't we don't have time to go through all of them, but I have a lot of them to share with you. Okay. And I've divided them into two categories. Also, for the listener, I told Anne that I was not going to let her see these ahead of time. So these reacts are 100% real. These are real. Okay. So the first category is where are they now? Okay. These are people who wrote to us about the sort of existential questions of whether to stay at their job or move on or what to do about job. So the first update I want to share is because I am personally very excited about this one. This update comes from somebody who wrote in for our episode that we did with Ailsa Chang called Is It Too Late to Start Over? And you probably remember this person. They were wondering about quitting their job to open a bookstore. But they asked, is that a recipe to hate books in 15 years? And this is how Ailsa responded. Do not approach the universe with this expectation that you are not supposed to ever, ever, ever hate your job. Especially like if, if, if the outlook is 15 years, that's a really long time. Oh, my God. Do books for 15 years. And if you hate it, if it really comes true that you hate it after a decade and a half, that's good run. So this listener has given us an update. I quit my political consulting job effective next Friday. Tropes and Trifles, a romance-themed bookstore, has been doing online sales and pop-ups in Minneapolis since mid-August. <gasps> my business partner and I are looking for space and hope to open a storefront in early 2024. Owning a bookstore is hard, especially in the current retail landscape, but I am encouraged by the strong and supportive community we've built over the past few months. <sighs> Tropes and trifles. Tropes and trifles. And Minneapolis. I am a, a huge romance reader. And so I actually. And I'm a Minnesotan. So it works out. You are? Originally. Yeah, I was oh, born in Minnesota. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> that... <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I know that this store already has a presence on Instagram because I've been following them. So I was so excited to get this update in. <gasps> Go follow anyone who's listening. Go follow them. Just Tropes be part of this person's success. We need so more romance-only bookstores. Yes. Okay. Give All me right. another update. So our next update is from the episode we did on academia with Dominique Baker. Mm. And yeah. we didn't play this question directly, but you used it to set up a conversation about why institutions don't fix their retention problems and they just stay in this cycle of people leaving and rehiring and people leaving and rehiring. Um, so here is the update that we got from the person who originally said in that question. Of the 10 people of color working in my academic library out of about 50 people, three remain. Admin sent out an emergency email saying they'd put together a task force to address the BIPOC retention issue. Unsure of whether that actually happened or not, because I also left. <laughs> Good for this person. Yeah, good for them. Good for this person. They got Get out of the cycle, and I hope they the didn't say away. anything about what they're doing now, but I hope it's an improvement. Yeah. So another question about quitting from our episode on whether or not you should leave your job. I think we called it, is this relationship over with Jane Coaston? Yep. 
Elsa wrote in saying that she had recently returned to work after maternity leave and she was so bored, but (laughs) switching jobs while being a new mom seemed way too risky. So she wrote in, I laughed when I listened to my question. I submitted the question a year ago and so much has changed. I'm no longer bored. I'm still at the same company and my workload has increased to the point where I'm completely overwhelmed and burnt out. (laughs) When I returned from maternity leave, it was like my new manager didn't know what the point of my role was, and it took around six months for my skills to be valued again. So this year, I've been highly involved in a major project at work. I've been promoted and now have a team working under me. My workload has increased so much that I've actually had to turn down another promotion opportunity and have also asked to reduce my work schedule to part-time. When I was bored at work, I felt guilty for wasting my days doing nothing when I could have been home with my child. But when my workload increased, the guilt didn't go away. It got worse. I realized that working full-time isn't what I want to be doing. My ambition has been reduced since becoming a mom, and I just want a lazy girl job. I don't want to be bored, but I don't want to be overworked and overwhelmed either. I just want a part-time job that is stimulating for 24 hours a week and no more. I'm hoping that this year I can find the right balance between work and home life. Oof. I mean, that's such a good one because it's like, it just does seem like there is no happy medium, mm-hmm. right? Because, especially because the way that the U.S. workforce is set up, like, there's just so few opportunities for truly part-time work, mm-hmm. right? There are jobs where you work part-time hours, but actually work a full job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what this person wants. And that's such a great, like, if you can financially swing it, it's like a great place to be. So I hope that she is able to find it. I also like that it's a representation of the more philosophical idea of today is not always. And when she wrote to us, she was so bored and she thought her only option was quitting. But the situation that unfolded was much more complicated than that. Yeah. Okay, this is an update from somebody who had recently switched jobs when they wrote to us. This is from the episode My Job Traumatized Me, Now What? Mm. that we did with psychologist Hamad and Cho. And we had gotten a question from a nurse named Liz who was regretting switching jobs because she had really bonded with her coworkers during COVID. Right. Yeah. So here's what she says. I feel much more comfortable at work. I still feel shitty about the type A environment sometimes, but I'm able to move on pretty well. I increased my Lexapro by half a milligram, and I'm going to therapy mostly to talk through work-related issues. I have a much more chill floor, and most of my patients are lovely humans. We had a lot of new hires who are creating a solid, supportive group of night shift nurses. Our union just got us a new contract with staffing ratio protections and a 27% raise over three years. I'm so glad I didn't go back to my old job. I never get sexually harassed on this new floor, and my husband says I am much less angry about work. I still miss my friends from my old job, but I see them and talk to them occasionally. So I love this for so many reasons, and part of it is like an acknowledgement of how integrated our jobs are in in our mental health, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you can't just be like, oh, if I get a new job, it's going to fix everything. Like, she's like, I also am going to therapy. And I, like, I changed my meds. Like, mm-hmm. there there are a lot of things that if your job has traumatized you, as this person's job had, that you have to grapple with in the aftermath. And I'm, I'm just happy for her. It seems like she has a really good situation. Yeah. And I think it's a situation she couldn't have imagined when she first wrote to us. So that yeah. that one made me really happy. Yeah. Our next update is from someone whose question we featured pretty recently. 
Um, this was in our episode about feeling stuck that we did with Josh Gondelman. And this was a really heart-wrenching question we got where they said it felt like everything was going wrong. They'd fucked up their whole life by having this job. And yes, they were in therapy, but they cry all the time. And just they were basically just looking for some hope. Yeah. So here's their update. It's only been about a month since the episode aired, so I'm still in my current role. However, the great advice from Anne and Josh made me laugh and cry in a good way and inspired me to keep digging even if I only have a spoon. I loved the Shawshank Redemption analogy. (laughs) With you are not a stuck person as my new mantra, I'm taking steps to move forward. I'm updating my portfolio and using my friends and network to find other opportunities and open some doors. Oh, that was all Josh saying, you know, digging with the spoon. Mm -hmm. And Um, you are not a stuck person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes when it's only been a month since when we we like heard from them, there's not a lot of opportunity for change. But I love to hear that, that our response made them laugh and cry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that's what I always hope when we answer a question is that this person feels like we see them. Mm-hmm. Right. For, like I know that sounds cheesy, but like the thing that we often say, especially for difficult situations, is like this is really hard. Mm-hmm. And we need to acknowledge that first and foremost is that like the situation that you find yourself in like mm-hmm. is really hard. I don't know if we say that enough. Yeah. You know, just kind of acknowledging that. And I remember now that part of their original question was they had been trying to get a new job for like two years and it had something like a hundred interviews and they were always tailoring their resume and their cover letter. And so I can totally see how that starts to weigh on you and make you think there's something wrong with you. And so mm-hmm. I'm glad that you and Josh were able to help them see that that is just not the case. Yeah. Okay. So our next update is not really a happy one, but I think it's important for us to talk about. So the original question was in our episode about setting boundaries with Stephanie Natty Olson, but it could have also fit into our episodes about how to care less about your job and making caring professions sustainable. This was the teacher in a small town who didn't want to give her phone number out publicly. And her update makes me understand why. So here's what she says. Two of the colleagues in my department were put on administrative leave within the first four weeks of the school year. About a third of the staff are long-term subs with no education background. Instead of coaching people up, they let them flounder. One of the teachers had to make lesson plans for every ninth grade class in our department because she was the only one left teaching that class still on staff. She told me she wanted to kill herself about three weeks ago. So to answer your question, it's not going well with caring less. I feel like I am one of the few teachers left who actually has a voice because I've been there since dirt and I know where the bodies are buried. So I try to speak up for my colleagues and my students when I can because this is absolutely unsustainable for everyone, admin included. Some days I can walk out and shrug my shoulders and say, it's not my circus. But when I go back the next day, it absolutely is my circus. So I just put off the caring for another day. I am trying to minimize my rage, but it's not easy. I have four years until I'm fully vested in our state retirement, and it's touch and go if I will make it. Maybe I'll be the next teacher who walks out. Uh, I mean, this is just so hard because it is like it is such a familiar story to Mm -hmm. me, just like with other people that I know who are doing that work, who have left that work. And it's scarring. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like, I absolutely understand why she wants to wait out those four years. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's really hard to recover from. Mm-hmm. I feel like this could, it could have also been a question in, like, my job traumatized me. Yeah. Right? You know? Yeah. <sighs> and I just, I, I really feel for this person. Yeah. And I feel for any other educators who are feeling similarly. And it really, really fucking sucks. Yeah. I think it's also a good illustration of sometimes our questions are interpersonal. Sometimes our questions are like, no, your company is dysfunctional. And this is like the entire nation (laughs) is ruining this person's life. And (laughs) and like, yeah. And so, you know, she's doing the best that she can, but it's really not fair that this is being asked of her and of everybody in Everybody in public education. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Our second half of listener updates I have for you are about situations that were within work that were not necessarily as existential, but still needed to be dealt with. And for our first update, we are going to go all the way back to our very first episode, Big Office Feelings with Josh Gondelman. And it is from the person who wrote in Cranky About Gifts from Work. (laughs) Do you remember this conversation? Yes. yes. So this person has an update. They say, I've noticed my work has moved to more food-related gifts, so they'll likely be used over some dust-collecting tchotchke. And more excitingly, we don't give anniversary gifts now, but as a thank you to their commitment to the organization, after every five years of employment, staff are eligible for a six-week paid sabbatical. I am thrilled with this. The greatest gift is time. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wasn't this the person? Maybe this just like sparked a conversation that I had on my Instagram where someone <laughs> wrote in to say that their boss gave them the gift of mugs with their face, the boss's face on vacation. Uh, like, this was not the same listener, but that is something that we did talk about. But yeah, going from like useless crap to a long ass yeah. vacation, that is like the ultimate workplace glow up. Yeah, that someone's listening. Do you think that they listen to work appropriate? I hope so. Wow, sabbatical is the best gift. Yeah, anybody (sighs) who's listening now, people want time off. That is the gift they want. Yeah, and time off that's not like, oh, it's unlimited. Take it if you want to. Like, forced time off, structured time off, time off that is conceived of as something that you earn because you do this job. Like, give it. That's wonderful news. Okay, so. I have two updates from the episode we did called This is Awkward with Virginia Soul Smith, um, Mm. where people were just like, I don't know how to deal with this situation. Okay, (laughs) so the first update is from a person who said their coworker was really rude in emails. And I just want to revisit how you and Virginia initially reacted. I want to see the emails because my guess is that she's probably just like using periods instead of exclamation points. Or no punctuation is another common, (laughs) you know, like misstep. I think email is the land of misinterpreted tone and she may not hate you like at all. She just has no idea how she's coming across. So here's the update. I submitted the question about having a colleague write very rude and disrespectful emails. It was not just her using correct punctuation and direct language. After hearing your response, I realized that I was taking her emails personally, but not because of her direct language, but because of her inability to do her job. She often put things off, 
didn't see emails or misplaced important documents that she would then claim were never given to her. Once, she replied to an email about my work phone not having texting capabilities by saying, try this? Question mark, question mark. I responded by saying, hello, was there meant to be something attached to the email or did you just want me to try texting again? Thanks. To which she, <laughs> to which she responded, nothing attached, just try. <laughs> which like should be a t-shirt it was things like this that became frustrating she spoke to me as if i was stupid or missing something when she often wasn't doing her job correctly i did bring it up to my supervisor because i felt like i was going crazy she told me to just make sure i have copies of everything i submit stay organized and follow up i felt frustrated because i should not have to be managing someone outside of my department however it was really all i could do Thankfully, shortly after that, she gave her notice and has left the organization. Yay! The new person in her role has been more organized and less condescending. Win-win all around. I appreciate you helping me reflect on the fact that it wasn't so much about her emails, but it was more about how she did or didn't do her work. Amazing. Wow. I love it. Yeah. Like, if our, I just love when like our answer misses the point and they're like, oh, if they're responding this way, then I'm not actually identifying the problem, yes. right? Yes. And so I need to rethink like, what is the question that I'm actually asking? Right. And it was all of these things that she's outlining here, which is all of his very weird behavior, or at least like, I don't know, incompetent behavior yeah. in some capacity. And then she wins by not having to deal with it. Just like give notice. Yeah. Amazing. I love how that was. Can you imagine the, her feeling when she opened up the email and saw that this person <laughs> gave notice? I'm imagining that gif from the office where everybody's like spraying champagne and jumping around. Because <laughs> there's no okay. way she was like the only victim of this person's emails. Yeah. No, 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 no. So we have another update from the same episode. Uh, this one was from a non-binary and gender non-conforming person whose co-workers often called them young lady and said things like, I don't understand non-binary or it doesn't right. exist. Um, and they were like, I really don't know how to handle this because I'm the only openly genderqueer person at the office. Right. Here's their update. I never brought up how this colleague's comment affected me. There wasn't ever a good opportunity, and I still didn't know how to approach her or anyone else about it. Unrelated to this circumstance, but perhaps it was a subconscious motivation, I applied to transfer to a different department at the university. At my new department, I work with other openly queer and non-binary colleagues, and the whole staff has been very normal and accepting of pronouns and gender identity. I'm much happier that I work in a department where having they, them pronouns is respected, among all the other reasons I applied for this transfer. Thank you for taking Great. the time to read my question and for your kind response and validation of how awkward and bad that situation was. Yeah, I remember this question and I remember our advice was like, you do not have the responsibility to educate this person. Mm -hmm. Like you are not, this is not your job, mm -hmm. right? And like you should talk to a manager, HR department, like there's so many other people whose responsibility it actually is. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be beholden on you in this power relationship to do that. So I'm so glad that they are now in a department where they don't have to do that work at all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. So happy about that one. Okay. Now is the time for the titty tattoo update. Oh, okay. 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 So okay. this was the titular question. <laughs> titular. From our episode with Greta Johnson. And yes. here is the update. 
Since being told I had to cover up the tattoo, I have been using band-aids to cover it up. I have forgotten on a few occasions and had my supervisor nag me to remember to cover up. I have recently made an appointment to get a partial cover-up with the original artist so I don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm also looking for new jobs since I can't stand my supervisor anymore. I mean, here's the thing. If your supervisor is nagging you about your, like, subtle titties and mm-hmm. your tattoo, that, that supervisor has something else going on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. First of all, like, the supervisor needs to grow up. <laughs> and I'm, like, kind of yeah. sad that they're getting it covered up. I mean, I hope I know, they maybe, like it, but... Yeah, maybe wait and see if you get another job. Yeah. Cover it up. And it's colder weather, so maybe we just do long sleeves yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. But... Don't cover up your joy. Don't cover up your titty joy. Yeah. Like Free the titties. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, um, do whatever you need to do in this capitalist hellscape, which yeah, is one yeah, of our... Yeah, do what you need to do, days. but also, like, I bet your tattoo is really sick. Yeah. Uh, also, so, we still want to see a picture of it if you want to send it to us. Work appropriate at crooked.com. But I think that that, we agree, your supervisor is not the greatest. Yeah. I like to imagine that this person will find a job where they're fully accepted for who they are. And then in one of their, like, lunchtime conversations, someone is like, why did you leave your last job? And they'll just, like, <laughs> show them the tattoo. And they're like, what? So you'll find your people. Yeah. You'll yes. find the titty tattoo appreciators. There, I mean, we are legion. Okay, so we have one last update. Okay. And this is from the episode we did with Liz Lend that I was talking about earlier about just like what the fuck situations at work. And we had so many what the fuck questions that we had to do a rapid fire segment at oh, the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the questions was that the women's bathroom didn't have any trash bins in the stalls. Remember this? And they had yes. been asking for a year for this to happen. And Liz was like, you steal trash cans from the men's bathroom and put them in the women's bathroom. So here is her update. We got trash cans installed in the bathroom. The men's room didn't have trash cans to steal. It only had the ones built into the wall under the paper towels. So I sent an email to the facilities manager. There's nothing quite like saying bloody pads and tampons clogging toilets or dripping on the floors to a middle-aged straight white man because the trash bins got ordered and installed within two weeks after the email was sent. It only took a year and a half from start to finish. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to say bloody pads and tampons, right? You just got to – you can't use euphemisms. You can't use blue liquid and like, you know, they do in the commercials. Like, you just got to be like – this is this is what we're this dealing with reality. here. This is this is the level of seriousness of this need. Blood. <laughs> that we don't want to carry out of the bathroom. So I am thrilled for this workplace. And I just feel like this is the right one to end on because like this is our legacy. Like if we cannot solve institutional, systematic problems plaguing the entirety of the American workforce, we can encourage somebody to get the trash cans. You said it. I mean, you said the good thing. (laughs) Like, this is why, and I just want to say as our closing that, like, this podcast is what it is because of the incredible work that you do, both behind the scenes in terms of, like, communicating with people who are question askers and our guests, and then also the work that you do to make us sound you know, smart 
and like we're not using weird sentences. That's what I always tell guests <laughs> at the beginning of the show is that Melody will make us sound really smart. And you do. So thank you for that. Well, you give me all the good content to work with. There's no one else I'd want to work with <laughs> on this show than you. Here's to what we're cooking up next. Here, here. For one last time, thank you for listening to Work Appropriate. It has been my total pleasure hosting this show, and I am so grateful for you. I set out to make Work Appropriate to take conversations I'd been having online into a podcast where we could have extended, important, nuanced conversations about the workplace. And the experience of connecting with experts, friends, listeners like you, all of this was so great. And if you want to keep in touch and hear about what's next, particularly in the podcast arena, head to annhelen.substack.com and sign up for my newsletter, Culture Study. You can also follow me on Instagram at Peterson. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producer is Kendra James. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Allison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. Mm-hmm.